And as I uh, began to reflect on that and to think about that, one of the interesting things was that in my life, I've never regretted uh, sacrificing something small for something great. I've never regretted that. What, what I, uh, I, I, I have reg- regretted is not uh, trying something because I felt that it would not succeed. I've regretted that. And, uh, and, and, and if I look at that, what I'm really saying is that I've really regretted in my life when I did not give it all that I had. I regretted that because when you look at that, uh, you may not have all the opportunities that others might have in life. You may not have or know uh, people that are influential like others might know in their lives. Uh, but when we look at that and think about it, you may, ha- you may not have the financial strength that someone else has, but you have something. And if you would take that something, if you've got anything, you've got something. And if you would give your all, if you'll give your all, Uh, you will never regret sacrificing something small for something much greater. And so uh, the reality is in our lives, what we do is we limit ourselves based on what we do not have. There is a tendency to look at what you don't have, what you're missing, what's wrong, rather than what you do have. Uh, You know, it's amazing is that someone might look and and I was telling a story uh, this, this week uh, when I uh, graduated from college. Um, I had, um, I bought a car. I bought a car myself. I bought a car. And it was, uh, I think it was like a 1974, it was old, Toyota Corolla. It was gray. And in the trunk of the car, I kept a big Prestone uh, antifreeze uh, bottle. Those of you may not have seen that before, but it was not, it was full of water because if I, when I went a couple of miles, it it would run hot. It had about 148,000 miles on it. I also kept a minimum of two uh, uh, cans of oil because not only did it run hot, but it ran dry. And so I would stop before it got too hot, put water in it, put a little oil in it. But whenever I went somewhere, When I went to work, I would park way in the back of the parking lot and I would walk up in my white shirt and dark pants so no one would see the kind of car that I only could afford. Over time, I remember that uh, I married, uh, right before I married Gwen, I, I bought a brand new car. It was a Nissan Sentra, brand new. It did not have carpet. It did not have a stereo. Uh, It did not have air conditioning but it had a new motor. And so one of the things I was thinking about is that it was at that time, rather than just rejoicing that I had something to get me to work, to get me around, and I did not have to walk my shoes out, I focused on what I did not have rather than what I did have. And what I had was more of a blessing to me than what I did not have. And that's what's so important in our own individual lives because uh, when the reality of things is that there is a tendency for us to focus on what we don't have, what's missing. And so I want to just kind of convert that. I want you to uh, just begin to uh, look at some of the things that Jesus did when he came to the earth because he did some pretty amazing things as he changed some mindset uh, sets that uh, were prevalent then but also that are prevalent today. 
Before Jesus ever did a miracle, he came from the desert after 40 days and 40 nights. And as Jesus came back from that desert and from that time of fasted prayer, there's a principle that we find in the New Testament. It's where we see that the first, the second, and the third century people began to follow Jesus as a crucified leader. They began to follow him as a crucified leader. And the amazing thing about that is that he had no territory. The amazing thing about that, he had no military and he had no authority, but yet they still followed him. And uh, as they followed him, what we recognize is that the religious system of the first century and even the religious century, uh, uh, systems that we see today, that what they were is that they were top down. They were top down. And you may see that in companies that you work for, that the person that is at the top, they exert their authority on everybody else that is below so that they can uh, uh, do what needs to be done. And so it, it, it's like, uh, you know, I'm the, oh, I heard somebody say that this week, that, that uh, uh, I'm the boss, I, I am over you. So therefore, it should never appear that you're over me. And it was amazing. So when Jesus came, Jesus kind of uh, changed some things because typically it was top down, but Jesus changed it where they began. He just messed some things up. And, and I like to say that he messed up their Kool-Aid because what was previously top down, Jesus caused it to become upside down. And when he begins to, when we began to demonstrate how he led, he began to demonstrate what we should do in the kingdom. It was an interesting dynamic because there was a miracle that Jesus did. It was a miracle of Lazarus, uh, where Jesus had come uh, to Bethany, and Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus, Mary and Martha, um, was uh, Lazarus' sister. And Lazarus was sick, and so his disciples said to him, he says, Jesus, they said, Jesus, hey, we heard that Lazarus is sick, let's go so you can heal him. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, boys. Well, why don't you just kind of wait a minute? And then they heard that Lazarus had died and they had embalmed him. They had put him in a tomb. And then they uh, looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, if, man, you know what? You waited. Now he's dead. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He's just asleep. And so they, they take this journey. They take this trip. And as he takes this trip in, in uh, John chapter 11, and we see in uh, starting in verse 46, and then we're going to get back to that story, but John chapter 11, verse 46, and we're going to read verse 47. Champions, let's read that, and let's read it together now. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Stop right there. And so now, uh, Lazarus now had been raised from the dead, and, uh, and people were like shaken. So they, they went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Verse 47, let's read that together. Now, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. <laughs> now, 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 the Sanhedrin it was, uh, was kind of like our Supreme Court today. And there was a man on the Sanhedrin council by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had come to Jesus Earlier, we see that in John uh, 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 3, that he had come to Jesus earlier and he had come to Jesus by night because he had seen and he had heard about Jesus. So he came to him by night and I'm wondering why would someone come and talk to someone at night? 
when they could do it in the daytime. And the only justification that I could see is that he did not want the others on the council to know that he wanted a deeper revelation of what he had seen and what he had heard. And so he comes to Jesus by night. John 11, 46 and 47, they asked Jesus at their, they asked at their meeting because they were concerned about what was happening. And notice what they asked. They said that, what are we accomplishing? Uh, here is this man performing many what? Performing many signs. And so they were clued into what was happening. They were clued into this, this thing. And, and it was not just Jesus doing miracles, but Jesus was introducing something that was about to come next. See, because when he came out of the desert, Jesus said these words, the kingdom of the wilderness, he said these words, the kingdom of heaven is near you. And so he's introducing something new. They are clued into it. And they say, what are we accomplishing with this guy? Uh, he keeps doing these signs. And then in John eleven forty eight, 48, they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And so what Jesus is doing is he's introducing something radical. He's introducing something that is different. And, and, and they say, look, if we let him keep on doing what he is doing, then we're going to lose our temple. Our, uh, we're going to lose our temple. We're going to lose that place where we come together and exert our authority. And we're going to lose our nation, a place where we come and everybody looks up to us. And Jesus was doing this radical thing because he was in, introducing something that was totally different. And so what happens is that in the first uh, 21st century church, one of the things that we many times don't recognize is that we try to hang on to what Jesus came to undo. And how many of you believe that there should not be any Christian celebrities? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, okay, you don't know what I mean. It's like, you, it's like where you'll travel like, you know, if it's the word and it's the word, you should be hungry to eat the word no matter what the style is. Amen. No matter uh, what the inflection is, because you love the word, you want to eat the word. You want to partake of the word. And so as a, result, as a result of that, what's interesting is that um, Jesus was coming to undo some things. And so in the first uh, 21st century church, what we recognize is that many times we do hang on. So there is no restriction on our uh, ability to worship, our, our ability to gather. And, and so how many of you know that we don't have to even have to come here to worship together? How many of you know that um, we can all over, the, all over the city come together and pray together? You know, it's evidence. Why? Because we do it on Saturday mornings. And so it, 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 one of the things that we see here is that uh, Jesus was undoing some things that they were still trying to hang on to. And so many times we look at what we do not have and that becomes a limitation rather than the flexibility of what we do have. So notice here in John 11, verse 53 and 54, what happens now? Because Jesus is radical. He's, he's doing some, some things that are quite differently. And so in verse 53 and 54, let's read it together now. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. So, you know what? From that day on, when they say, what are we accomplishing here, man? This guy keeps doing signs. And so it was from that day on that they uh, 
uh, plotted to kill him or to take his life. And so Jesus heard about it. How did he hear about it? Because Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin council. And I believe that Nicodemus, as he went to him by night, he would see him over. Oh, by the way, in our council meeting today, our people want to kill you. So Jesus, as he heard about it, no longer moved publicly around Judea. But he didn't leave. So what he did now, Jesus goes to Bethany. And as he goes to Bethany, he, Lazarus now is there. And before he goes, that what they do is that they send spies around the city looking out for Jesus. Now the Passover is about to take place in about a week or so. And so they're sending spies out and they're saying, we're going to spot this guy. And when we spot him, we're going to arrest him. And we arrest him, we're going to take his life. Let's look here in John chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, also they came to see who? Lazarus now is a tourist attraction. People want to come not only to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so uh, verse 10 says it like this. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. So notice this. Not only were they looking to kill Jesus who was introducing something different, something new, but they wanted to kill the evidence. And they sought to kill Lazarus as well. Why? Why did they want to kill Lazarus? Even more so. Look at this in verse 11. Let's read that together now. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and why were they believing in Jesus? Because of Lazarus. Why were they believing in him? Because of the evidence. Why were they believing in Jesus? Because of Lazarus. Why were they believing in him? Because of the evidence. And so notice this, the reason that people began to follow Jesus was not because of faith. The reason they began to follow Jesus was because of something they saw. And so Christianity so important for the beginning, has, become, has begun on uh, an informed faith. They believed him because of the evidence. But you know what, church? That was not only with Jesus doing miracles, but they believed in the early church in Acts chapter 2 because of the evidence they saw with the love that they showed toward one another. The Bible says that they had everything in common. They had one voice. And, 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 they, and the Bible says that many on the outside marveled at that kind of generosity and love, and they wanted to become part of the fellowship. Not, not, not one miracle in terms of what Jesus had done, but just the love that they saw and how they were willing to help one another out. They knew that that never happened in the world. That'll never happen on my job. That will never, it must be something special about those people that they would treat one another with such honor, such respect, such love. Now, notice this. The Bible says that the next day, one of the things that happened here is the next day that the, the great crowd ha that had come from the festival, uh, in verse 12, they say they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. <laughs> Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So everybody's talking about him. And, and, and so the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had no idea 
that thousands are coming from all over to Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples, they blend into the crowd. They got spies all over, but, but thousands are coming from many different directions. And so Jesus and his disciples are blending in the crowd, and they are coming to Jerusalem also. Notice this. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says something really interesting. What it says is that they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Wait a minute now. He was not going to move around publicly because they were plotting to kill him. But Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew his assignment. He knew what he had been sent to do. And he was willing to sacrifice something so small for something so great. Let's read that together now, church. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Isn't that interesting? That the disciples were afraid, but Jesus wasn't. His life, their lives had not been threatened, but Jesus's had. But he's leading the way, and they are afraid. And so Jesus pulls them aside and said, come on over here, boys. Let me talk to you. And he told them what was about to happen to him. He says, that, look, this is what's going to happen, that uh, I am going to be arrested. I am going to be, uh, I've got to leave. I, I'm going to be uh, crucified. I'll, uh, and he began to tell them all the things that were about to happen. And Peter was like, no, no, no. But Jesus told them, and he says that when I go, you're going to have a brand new life. Something's going to be different when I go. When this happens, something's going to be different. And as he tells his disciples this, you know what happened? In the next sentence, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they, they, they start talking to Jesus. And, and you know what's amazing about that? They asked Jesus. They said, uh, uh, Jesus, will you do for us what we want you to do? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says that one of us might sit on your right hand uh, and the other uh, be in your glory with you. And Jesus became so upset, not because, it's, look, look, it's like this. Jesus has told them what's about to happen to them, and it's, not like, it's like they don't even care. It's like, it, it, Jesus, I hear you say you're going to get beaten, you're going to be crucified, you're gonna, they're going to kill you. But, 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 but let me just say, this is what I want you to do for me because I want to be elevated. I want to have some authority. So do for me, uh, let me sit at your right hand so everybody can see how wonderful I am. Oh, by the way, and let me bring us into your glory so everybody can see that the relationship we have with you. And the other disciples were, 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 were put off by that. And isn't it amazing? They didn't even care what was happening, what was going to happen to him. They were only concerned about what would happen to them. So Jesus talks to them. One of the things that he did is he began to share with them about the Gentiles, what the Gentiles do, that they try to, they lord it over the people. They exercise their authority over the people. And as they exercise their authority over the people, they are be honored, they are respect, and they are valued. But not so in the kingdom of heaven, he says. He says, in the kingdom of heaven, it will not be top down, but it will be upside down. And he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what Jesus was saying is he meant that, look, I'm going to lay down my life, but I, what I want you to discover is that the king who came, he came to reverse the order of things. And he would say that I'm not asking you to lay down your life for me, but I'm asking you to lay down your life for 
one another. Do you know what's amazing about that? These guys got it. They got it that when Jesus said that I want you to lay down your lives for one another. They got it because in the early church, what we find is that as the church uh, was formed, that these followers, these disciples that Jesus were talking to became apostles and they were serving so much that there was a problem in the, in the church. They were serving so much because the Bible says that uh, they, 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 wouldn't even, they couldn't even pry their hands from the serving tray because they were serving widows that, 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 that they didn't even have time to teach what Jesus had taught them. And so the disciples came up to him and says, look, uh, we need you to teach what Jesus has taught you because you're the only ones that know what he's been teaching. And so they pried their hands from the serving table, but they got it. They got what he was saying. It was like, well, well, you know, this thing is upside down now. I've got to serve one another. I've got to love one another and not to be served. But you know what? I don't believe that they got it even the next day, the day when Jesus was to be crucified because what happened, the Bible says that they went to a supper. And as they went to this supper, Jesus is sitting there and they're talking about who's going to be the greatest among them, what kind of authority they're going to have. And Jesus says that, you know what? I'm the master. But I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And the Bible says that he got up from his seat. He wrapped a servant's towel around him. And he began to wash their feet. And Peter said, no, you will not wash my feet. Jesus washed his feet. Not only did he wash his feet, it takes a long time to wash somebody's feet. But the guilt came over them because they didn't wash their own feet. And now one who was the Lord, one who was master, began to wash their feet one by one. But you know what? I was looking in the Bible to see where Jesus just washed everybody's feet but Judas. But even washed Judas's feet knowing what he would do. And as he washed their feet, and Jesus sat back down when he put his robe back on. And as he sat back down, they knew what those hands could do. And those hands that healed the sick, caused the blind to be able to see, caused the lame to walk. They knew what those hands could do. But those supernatural hands were taking a very natural position and began to serve those that they had been called. And I know that they didn't get it. Why? It's because on the night that Jesus was crucified, they saw Peter. And, and when they saw Peter, they, this servant girl says, he's one of Jesus' followers. And Peter says, I don't know the very man that said that I will never deny you. Fulfill what Jesus had prophesied that you would not only do it one time, but you would do it three times. And there'll be a rooster that will crow to let you know what I have said. Those hands, they knew what it could do. And when Jesus put his robe back on, he said something really powerful to them. Church, I'd like for you to read this together in John chapter 13, verse 15. Let's read it together now. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Mm. He says that I've shown you what it is like for hands to heal, for hands that perform miracles, for hands to serve. And then in the 17th verse, he says these words. Let's read it together now. Now that you know these things, you will be. Now that you what? Now that you know. Now that you know. Now that you what? Now that you what? Know what? Now that you know these things, if you do them, you will be what? Isn't that the same thing James said? 
He says, now you know I have given you an example. And now that you know because of the example that I have given, if you do these things, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And on last week, that's the very same thing we saw James say. That James says that we can listen and listen and listen, but it does not cause freedom. We can listen and listen and listen, but it does not produce the blessing. He says that only when you become a doer and not just a hearer only, that you will be blessed in what you do. And Jesus said it first. Now that I have given an example to you, that if you do these things, you will be blessed in what you do.